coming up. To step into Colorado City in 2001-2 time period, it's to kind of step back in time. You feel like you're in almost 100 years earlier in pioneer America. For Vault Studios, I'm Reed Redmond. You're listening to The Daily Crime. Fifteen years ago today, the FBI announced a new top tenner, as they call it. A new addition to their top ten most wanted list. That's right. This life is just a few minutes of time in eternity. Fifty-year-old Warren Jeffs, the leader of a fundamentalist polygamous sect, a man who'd for years proclaimed himself to be the voice of God to his thousands of followers. Because he would call over the, the intercoms. He was the only one he could talk on the intercoms. When he was added to the most wanted list, Jeff stood accused of multiple counts of child sexual assault in Arizona and one count of rape as an accomplice in Utah. Crime survivors would suggest were only the tip of the iceberg. The psychological torture that they brought me through, I didn't think that I would survive it. Here to take us through the long and tangled history of the Fundamentalist Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, or the FLDS Church, is Joe Dana, a watchdog reporter and anchor with 12 News in Phoenix, Arizona. Joe, 15 years ago this week, the FBI added the leader of this group, Warren Jeffs, to its most wanted list. But let's start with this. When did you first start covering Jeffs and the FLDS Church? I first went up into Colorado City in about 2002. And I had a, a background, a general knowledge of the area from what I had read, but also a personal background in the roots of, of Mormon polygamy. So I had this hmm. understanding. My great-grandfather was actually a polygamist in the mainstream Mormon church, and he had been asked to practice uh, in the 1890s. And uh, so his second wife— is my great-grandmother. And so I had this interesting perspective as I began covering Colorado City where you had basically an offshoot of the of the mainstream Mormon church, uh, like many offshoots in the Southwest, Oregon, Colorado, mainly Utah, Texas. There are some up in Canada. There are still some down in Mexico. These different little, um, you know, clusters of uh, families that multi-generational practice polygamy and practice some version of Joseph Smith's and Brigham Young's doctrine of polygamy that was set up in the Mormon church in the mid to late 1800s. And I also know that polygamy isn't the only... I guess, practice or teaching within the FLDS church that has drawn objections or that differentiates it from the mainstream LDS church. What else can you tell me about uh, the FLDS church, you know, their teachings, practices, things like that? Well, it's to, to step into Colorado City in 2001-2 time period, it's to kind of step back in time. You're, you feel like you're in almost 100 years earlier in pioneer America. The, these are several thousand people who were relying on themselves mainly for food production, for clothing. They would um, 
you know, stitch their own dresses and all the women wore pastel type dresses and bonnets and the men jeans and button up shirts. These were sort of the uniforms that were expected of everyone living in the community. And so you would drive through there. And so it was about self-sufficiency. It was about uh, work ethic, family, and, and of course, polygamous families. Um, they took some of the teachings of, of Joseph Smith and sort of curtailed them to their own. There were some polygamists there, for example, who would drink coffee, and there was actually a little coffee shop. And people today pretty much know that the mainstream Mormon church, you know, does not drink coffee. Mm-hmm. Uh, others, you know, would um, not see alcohol as something that is absolutely banned. You could drink alcohol here or there. Um, but what they did hold on to tightly that the F, that the LDS Church also values highly is this idea that Joseph Smith, the original uh, prophet who who said that in the 1820s the heavens opened to him and he was given these uh, you know uh, spiritual keys, so to speak, to restore Jesus Christ's church and then have prophets after him who would still have those keys and run Jesus Christ's uh, church as it was intended when Jesus was on the earth. Um, The FLDS church truly believes that today, that um, their prophet, um, who for the last now 25, 30-something years has been Warren Jeffs, that he is the only man on earth who can truly speak for God and reveal God's will. And that's a basic teaching of the, uh, you know, mainstream LDS church, that, that God does have a prophet today that speaks for the, for the world. For example, if I uh, would have uh, peeked into the window of a, of a schoolhouse in Colorado City in 2003 uh, I would see on the wall there of their school uh, several photos of the prophets going back from Warren Jeffs to his father, Rulon Jeffs, to the one before, all the way back to where then they would show um, Brigham Young and Joseph Smith. So instead of seeing U.S. presidents, for example, on the wall of the school, you would see these men who they revered as as the prophets, and that also goes into the an issue here, which is fascinating, which was the tightly wound uh, relationship of of church and state, which we can also get into later. So, the FLDS Church has been called a lot of different things. The Southern Poverty Law Center labels it a quote white supremacist, homophobic, anti government, totalitarian cult. End quote. It's been called a religion by by some. It's been called a crime syndicate by others. But it is probably, the, the term cult is probably the term you see the most. Do you think that's the right label or is it maybe more complicated than that somehow? Well, it's more complicated, but the men who have run the church or cult over the years, and even as journalists, you know, we would go back and forth about whether to label it a cult or a sect or a church or a fundamentalist religion, you know. Uh, The men who ran it certainly exploited women and girls, abused women and girls, 
and and to this day, I was there just even a couple of years ago. Uh, you know, the true followers of Warren Jeffs still largely don't believe in getting an education and helping uh, girls progress uh, in in modern day society. They believe that their you know true calling in life is to be a, a sister wife to one of these men and and uh, and so there are still estimated a couple thousand followers scattered around the west who who hang on to every word that comes from Warren Jeffs while he's behind bars and and he still dictates many you know many um orders and including just some really really sad um terrible things uh he'll he'll randomly reassign a husband to a different family uh, and children are ripped away from from their parents. And many things he has done over the years have been out of spite and jealousy and anger. He also uh, famously, in around 2001 or two, shortly after he went into power, he, he kicked out 20 men out of the uh, community there and also uh, uh, purged another 100 to 200 young, young teens, boys. They're known as the Lost Boys uh, because mathematically polygamy wasn't, it didn't work. Um, you, can't, you can't keep up a polygamous community without um, purging out a lot of the men. And so he would find reasons for these men or these kids uh, to call them sinners and kids as young as 16 were uh, exiled, and they ended up on on streets, and they were homeless in places like Nevada and Arizona, and uh, group homes, and their lives were just totally destroyed, and they weren't even allowed to. I mean, I had one boy who told me I wasn't even allowed to hug my mom and sister when I was kicked out, and so th- this group, and then these, and then the same with the men who were who were kicked out. They were seen as competition to to the church elders and those who were. Uh, who would, you know, have many wives. So they they were, you know, business owners and practicing members of the FLDS faith. They were also told that they were kicked out and they, and they lost contact with their children. Their children were told never to speak to them again. Tragic, tragic stories of families ripped apart, uh, all because of of uh, you know, it started with Warren Jeff. So yeah, it's 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 a cult, and there are so many tragic stories of of children and families torn apart. You mentioned a little bit earlier how, uh, or I guess when the FLDS Church came into existence that it was sort of this split from from the mainstream LDS church that they wanted to continue to practice certain things polygamy namely and they ended up in this uh these neighboring towns on the Utah Arizona border Colorado City and Hilldale can you kind of tell me how they ended up in this part of the country that's that's known as Short Creek yeah known as Short Creek and, and sometime in the in the 30s or 40s they began to settle there. And this is a beautiful, remote area, a couple of hours from the Grand Canyon one way and about an hour from what is St. George, Utah, another. 
and it's just situated in the base of what are known as the Canaan Mountains, these towering red rock, rustic um, cliffs. And it's just gorgeous, and it's, and it's really remote, which was perfect for them. Uh, in, in 1953, you ended up having uh, dozens and dozens of families uh, and about 260 children in this community. They, they had built these big homes, and they were practicing polygamy, living their lives. And that's when uh, Arizona's governor, John Howard Pyle, uh, made what some say was a politically disastrous move and, and in many other ways disastrous. Um, he decided, because uh, of the fact that they were practicing polygamy and also the rumors of welfare fraud, uh, because you had a lot of women who were getting welfare payments because technically they weren't married, but they had all these children, they decided to raid Short Creek. And this has become, uh, you know, an event of lore for the FLDS, a moment when the outsiders, when the big bad government came in and, and took all the children away, separated them from the parents, and they tried to uh, basically prosecute uh, all of these adults and relocate the children to foster families. And uh, it was a complete disaster. Um, you know, you had uh, a lot of newspaper reporters invited to, to actually witness this. Law enforcement thought, you know, this, is, this would be a feather in their cap, but it actually turned out to be the opposite. The reporters basically just saw these, these families there. You know, one, one report says, you know, they saw kids playing volleyball and, and then, uh, you know, t- suddenly torn away from the, the backyard and, and put in these vans. And uh, one reporter wrote, by what stretch of the imagination could the actions of the Short Creek children be classified as insurrection? Were those teenagers playing volleyball in a schoolyard inspiring a rebellion? Insurrection? Well, if so, an insurrection with diapers and volleyballs. And another reporter suggested that this had uh, been comparable to uh, the federal actions against Native Americans in the 19th century. Uh, so, sort of just bulldozing your way into someone else's culture and, and way of life and, and trying to make them assimilate to your own. So over time, the prosecutions failed. The families were, most of the families were reunited and brought back to Short Creek, but the damage had been done. And so that just caused them now through the generations to be even more insulated, more wary of any outsiders and, and sort of hardened against the U.S. government and uh, anyone who, who would travel through there. And we saw, we saw the effects of that firsthand, you know. You had to be very careful even just driving down the dirt roads of Colorado City. Um, there were always people watching you, and the church had a, a very sophisticated system set up to um, surveil anyone who entered the the town and you know this is a sprawling town of 
you know, hundreds of houses and there are some little stores and um, t- just all dirt roads. It's not kept up well, but, but you know, fairly big farms. And wherever you drive, if you're an outsider, you could bet that within a few minutes, there would be a black SUV with tinted windows following you. And that would, that would be, uh, you know, dispatched from the, the FLDS church to, to follow your whereabouts. And you're talking now 50 years after this, about 50 years after this raid, there's still that, that distrust of folks coming in from the outside. Absolutely. Absolutely. It cha- yeah, it really shaped the culture of, of the families there. The, the man who's the, the leader of this group, when you head there in the early 2000s, Warren Jeffs, he wasn't quite alive when this raid happened. But as I understand it, this raid was something that, that the leaders would still, come the 2000s, Warren Jeffs would still reference as, the government did this to us, this is why we cannot trust the government. This raid that happened in 1953, is that right? Oh, absolutely. You know, I mean, I think a group that has a reason to be persecuted or is felt persecuted becomes that much stronger. And and so Warren Jeffs used that to commingle public and religious resources. And church and state were one in the same, you know, in the 2000s, early 2000s. They had the secret security force. You had non-elected city leaders who were appointed by Warren Jeffs. And you had public policies dictated by the prophet himself. And um, they did not want outsiders telling them what to do. Well, Joe Dana, that's where we're going to leave this for today. But there is so, so much more to this story. I'm sure our listeners are going to be happy to hear that you're going to be Joining us again tomorrow to tell us a little more about Warren Jeffs, how he ended up now in prison, what things look like for the residents of the Short Creek area today. And you've actually been inside the compound where Warren Jeffs was living for a while, right? Yeah. And we uh, the curtain was was opened and we were able to go into the compound, into the bedroom where Warren Jeffs lived. Uh, we saw this intricate intracom system, how he would communicate to dozens of his wives. We, we went into a secret room he had deep in the bowels of one of, one of these mansions uh, that they had built uh, that he had planned to hide out in case they were ever raided by, uh, by the government. And, and then we got these stories, you know, talking to these women of what they had to endure while under the thumb of this ruthless, despotic leader, Warren Jeffs. We'll get more into that story tomorrow. Joe Dana, reporter with 12 News in Phoenix. Thanks for coming on. Okay, thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Daily Crime. As I mentioned, Joe Dana will be joining us again tomorrow to continue this discussion about Chore Creek and Warren Jeffs. So be sure to check back for that tomorrow morning. And if you're looking for even more true crime, you can check out our weekly podcast, True Crime Chronicles, which does a little deeper dive into one story each week. I'll see you right here tomorrow. Until then, for Vault Studios, I'm Reed Redmond.